Hi, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Sienna. And you're listening to And Yet. Conversations about the intersection of culture and health. Why do we go there? Because frankly, we need to. And we want you to know, we're with you. We all have a story we need to help unpack. But where do we fucking start? And where do we even end? Here's your permission to meet us in the messy middle. The And Yet Podcast with Sienna and Kelsey. Welcome back to the And Yet Podcast with Sienna and Kelsey. So today we're actually finishing off our first season, which I kind of can't believe we're here already. We made it. Remember when this was just like a brainchild over coffee? (laughs) Yeah, no, seriously. Where were we? We were in Williamsburg. We were at the William Vale. We were. And you were like, got this idea. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. Yep. (laughs) And here we are, the last episode of the season. So very excited. It's funny because while this is our last episode, it's actually the episode that started this entire conversation and started this idea of having a podcast. Totally, totally. So for those of you who might not have read the title, we believe you even if your doctor didn't, I mean, it's fairly self-explanatory what we're going into today. But as Kelsey said, this is really the kind of crux of the idea behind this podcast in that, you know, the whole idea is we want other people, women, men, people across the board to feel heard, to have the motivation to get heard, even when they feel they really haven't in the past, and have the confidence to find an answer. So we talk about endometriosis a lot in the podcast, and that's because both of us have our own personal experiences with it. We see endo really as just one example of many kind of diseases and symptoms, or just even overall situations where people aren't getting heard in the way that they should be. It's causing people to kind of suffer in silence and causing a mistrust both on the kind of patient's end, but I guess also there's a bit of mistrust on the kind of medical community's end as well. In any case, today we are speaking with a wonderful woman called Angela. Do you want to give a bit of a bio, Kels? So Angela Allen is now a friend of mine, we we were connected through mutual friends who knew both of our stories and felt like we should speak to one another. And it was just love at first phone call. <laughs> so Angela is a psychiatric ER nurse, and she's based down in North Carolina. And she has had quite the battle with endometriosis. She's had over five surgeries. She's had a multitude of doctors who did not believe her. And when we came to Angela with the idea of this podcast, she said, hell yes. Yeah. And one of the key moments that I remember from this conversation, the whole thing really stayed in my brain, obviously. But one thing she said to me, or to us rather, was, oh, yeah, one of the doctors said, oh, yeah, endometriosis, I believe in that. And I I just feel like that is, I mean, while the doctor was obviously coming from thinking about this positively and meaning well, it, to me, that just kind of exemplifies the whole issue. You're kind of like, is there a question that something like endometriosis exists? I can't believe that that's even right. a, a kind of a question. Well, and the question is, does female pain exist, right? Quite, I mean, Quite right. You could be on the floor of your doctor and they're like, oh, no, you're okay. Here's some ibuprofen. I mean, they just don't believe the depth at which we feel pain and yeah. chronic pain. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Angela, of all people, is someone that can really, really speak to this. And we really hope that you get a lot out of today's conversation. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the And Yet podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, my God. Hi. Thank you for having me. 
honor to be here. Well, we're very excited that you're here. And Angela, I know, so you and I got connected through a mutual friend and they connected us initially because we both have endometriosis. Correct. When I first spoke with you, you had just had, I believe it was your fifth surgery. Is that correct? That is, I think that is right. Yes. <laughs> you lose count. But yes, I think it was surgery number five. Isn't that crazy that you could like lose count of the amount of time your body's been sliced and diced? I know. I know. And that's actually a low number for endometriosis. So that's even crazier. Is it really? Yeah. I just talked to a woman, a client yesterday who is about to have her 11th and she wasn't sure either. She was like, 11th, 12th? I can't remember. Yeah. Oh my God. It's wacky. What was your process in getting diagnosed the Mm. first time? My process was actually a little easier than a lot of the stories I've heard. I kind of went for 10 years just thinking my period was normal. I had one, you know how you have your bestie and she would be like, that's not normal. That's not normal. And I'm like, well, it's normal for me. You know, I'm chumming Advil and just (laughs) trucking through it. And then one night I started my period and I literally couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't walk. And I was like, okay, (laughs) this isn't normal. So I went that week to the doctor and they did an ultrasound and they could actually see it on the ultrasound, uh, which is pretty rare, but it was, I had a huge endometrioma, a cyst on my ovary that they could see. So really I got diagnosed in an unusual way, but it was because it had progressed for so long. Oh my God. Yeah. Now just to kind of press on that point for those that maybe aren't aware that are listening, it's very uncommon to be able to see that in an ultrasound. Very. Yeah. That's, pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a surgical diagnosis. And actually even mine, like to have a legit diagnosis, they had to go in surgically, but they, you know, pretty much knew. So did they put you right into surgery or did you have to wait some time or what was sort of like the process there once they knew for sure that that's what was going on? So for me, this was back in 2009 and I started Googling. I wasn't a nurse at this point in time and I found a doctor. I was living in Los Angeles that specialized in endometriosis and fertility. And I wanted to save my fertility. So I, I of course, picked him. He did ablation surgery. And it was it was within a month of that ultrasound that he went in and did that surgery. And, of course, I didn't know then that ablation is not the correct surgery for endo. Yeah, that began the journey. Maybe we should just touch on that real quick. So ablation surgery is when they go in and they use a laser, correct? That's and they're, correct. And they're burning away the endo tissue, but excision is when they're actually cutting it out and they're cutting it out deeper and below the surface. Correct. So it's less for regrowth. Correct. Excision is definitely the gold standard, but back in 2009, that wasn't really, you couldn't really find that on the internet the way you can now. Yeah. I actually didn't even know what ablation surgery was until just a few months ago. Oh, and wow. I was diagnosed in 2013. Okay. And I believe my first surgery was an excision surgery. And I actually don't even know for sure now. Oh, wow. Which is a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, I think that just goes back to this, like, like women's health is just so misunderstood, misunderstood, mm. underrepresented. It's just, mm. it's behind the times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So Angela, what was the feedback after your first surgery from the surgeons to they think you'd need anything further or, or what kind of feedback did they have? Okay. So this surgeon, he did, it's just such a wacky story. He did a full laparotomy. He didn't do a laparoscopic surgery. So 
to explain that's like the C-section cut, like he cut all the way across and went in that way. And then three months later, his protocol was to do a second look surgery, which is a laparoscopy. And if you talk to any doctor, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, I just have had a way of picking (laughs) the wrong door every time. It's crazy. But so I had that surgery. Three months later, I had a laparoscopic surgery. Three months after that, I was in pain and I went back to him and I was like, this really hurts. Like something's wrong. And he said to me, we're going to have to have a come to Jesus talk. And I was like, what? (laughs) Why? And he said, "I, I believe that you are seeking pain medicine. And I was like, dude, never have I been on pain medicine. You haven't written me a prescription. No one has. I didn't ask that. I just said I'm in pain. So he thought you were a potential drug addict. Yeah. When, because that's more believable than a woman who has pain. Or a surgeon <laughs> who, you know, had an unsuccessful surgery. Both in, and you know what I mean? Both in the same. I would have right. been furious. Oh, I was <laughs> devastated. I was, yeah, it sucked. <laughs> So that began the long journey of that you hear about a lot if you are familiar with endometriosis of going from doctor to doctor to doctor. So the thing about I should explain about ablation surgery, once you have ablation, it makes the endometriosis worse. It actually irritates the endometriosis and it kind of, I think, accelerates the, the growth. So the pain becomes unbearable. And so I was going from doctor to doctor and they were trying to put me on Lupron, which I don't know if you want to talk about that. That's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah. But I was- so Lupron is a, a medicine that they now prescribe for people with endometriosis, which is thought to suppress, suppress I believe, your endocrine system so that you're mm-hmm. not like continuing to have the same rapid growth. And I might not be explaining that very well, but it has a lot of nasty side effects, Mm -hmm. um, more side effects than actual benefits, I would say. And yeah, we won't get into it too much now, but if you like Google Lupron, it's really like some pretty big horror stories. Yeah. 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 To put it in perspective, it's it's a drug that they give men with late stage prostate cancer. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, you know, just completely shuts down everything. You go into chemical menopause and when the endometri when you stop, the endometriosis comes back with a vengeance. And so yeah. and women report like losing their hair, their teeth. They're, some women yeah. lose teeth. I mean, it's like really nasty. And some of them are, are long term, lifelong. Like it's really it's scary and sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say if anybody who's listening to this has endometriosis and your doctor is pushing Lupron on you, run as fast as you can. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, that's my non-medical advice, but run yeah. as fast as you can. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is not, yes, but yes, run. Yeah, so that doctor, I will never forget, I went in knowing that I wasn't going to accept the Lupron. And I had played it out in my mind and I knew like what he, I had been through it before with other doctors and I was like, well, I'm going to go with, I don't have the money to afford it and that'll shut him down. (laughs) And he was like, well, I have a deal with the drug company and I can get it to you for free. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm like, no. You had to go, like you had to make up an excuse because you felt so pressured. Yeah. Yeah. They really, really pressure you. Or at least they did at that point in time. And I just was like, it's not happening. And he was so angry. He turned red and pounded his fist on the desk and kicked me out of his office. And I was like, whoa, okay, bye. (laughs) Bye. We're done. In that moment, are you, is it just, 
you and this male doctor or, or is there anybody else in the room? Is there a female nurse or like, no, we were in his office. So it wasn't like I was in an exam room, right? Like it was just me and him, but we were in a, you know, I was clothed and he was at his desk and we were going over options and it just infuriated him. And he, what did he say? He made the comment that I had been looking on Google too much or something like that, like scolded me for trying to inform myself, which is not uncommon with doctors. Yeah. And like, on one hand, I understand where it can be really frustrating for doctors if patients are always coming in and they're like, well, I saw this on WebMD or I saw this on Google. Sure. But at the same time, if, if they're not helping us get to the bottom of these very real issues that we're having, I mean, I think we're all just desperate for solutions and for answers and returning to like whatever means we can. Right. And, and it's important to know that with endometriosis, most doctors don't know. Like they get, I think, five minutes. I've had a few doctors talk to me about it. And it's like five minutes in medical school. And as a nurse, I only got, because I was watching for it when I started nursing school, like, what are they going to say? There was literally one sentence, one sentence. Wow. about endometriosis in, in our nursing books. So it's not something that's taught unless, you know, they go into a fellowship and they're invested in that, you know, disease and, and wanting to treat it. Well, and what about like in your experience, other diseases that are affecting women more widely, like PCOS mm-hmm. or even like heart attacks in women, like, or heart health, I should say, but because I, I mean, today we're, we're talking so much about endometriosis because that's our experience. But I right. think that topic really actually is like much broader. Absolutely. Yeah, right, right. And there's a study, I believe there is a, a huge study that was done that men were more believed and given pain medicine in the yeah. ER setting than women. And also that we know that we've studied men when we've done our medical studies in the past and women's bodies, most treatments aren't studied typically on women. I was just going to say, we spoke in a previous episode about the fact that, you know, women weren't actually introduced into scientific studies until the 80s or thereabouts. Oh, my so gosh. It's exactly spot on. Well, it drives me crazy, too, when men talk about women as being, like, weaker or inferior or we're not, like, we don't, we have a lower pain tolerance, which, like, nothing boils my blood more because <laughs> as somebody who lives with chronic pain and, like, substantial chronic pain, yeah, they just don't even know. God, it's always, always laughable except that it's not. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I know. Well, I mean, what the funny thing, right, is that women endure it and don't show it. That's yeah. the difference. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, with endo, you walk around and you have to keep it going. And you can't, if you want to be a part of society and have a job, you've just got to grin and bear it. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> Men have, have pain, but they show it. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> About three days after my last surgery, my husband had some kind of like stomach virus where I, he's going to hate me for this, but I don't think he had a low grade fever and like two bouts of diarrhea. And I'm sure he was very uncomfortable, but this is three days after I've just had like a pretty major surgery and yeah. I was grocery shopping I was washing our dishes. I mean, I had help. My mom was here and she was helping me to do some of these things, but Right. It's also like, we don't know how to take a rest because we've, I think in our minds, it's just, you're in pain and you just get up and you go and you continue on your day. So true. Yeah. So true. The man flu is a real thing, but we love Gosh, I, the men in our lives and they're I, I, it's all the strengths I can muster up to just be like, I'm sorry you feel bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm leaving the room. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
So when we were initially planning this podcast, we had toyed with the idea of <laughs> creating a segment called the Shit Doctors Say, just because we have spoken to so many listeners and friends kind of who speak about some of the wild things that have been told to them. So we were going to ask you kind of that question, but then since you've already said that, A, you've been called a drug addict and two, right. you've been <laughs> sent out, you know, sh- almost shouting out of a doctor's surgery, maybe you've already answered that. Yeah, I think that's as wacky as it has gotten. I did have a doctor recently that I went to for hormone replacement that, that said, oh yeah, I believe in endometriosis. As if you were oh, saying, goodness. oh yeah, I, be- I believe in ghosts. And I was like, what? For debate. I mean, I think if nothing else, we can at least confirm now that it is a thing. Right. It's a thing. I can't believe that. That is so mind-boggling. Oh, yeah, I mean, and I, yeah, that's when you also run out of that doctor's office. Good. Red flag. Oh, was that your response then, just to like turn on your heels and leave? You would think it was, but it was not. Well, that's <laughs> I a still... good point too, though, because there's this thing that happens when we're sitting in a, in a gown on a cold bed and this person of authority is – seemingly of authority is kind of like standing over us in a lab coat and this like weird dynamic that happens I think between a patient and a doctor and you work in the medical field and and as an RN you know sometimes you're that person but then like what is it like for you when you then become the patient when I'm just the patient with the example I just gave i I go into that thing where you're it, it must be in our cells where they're they are God and you must listen to them, even though I've had so many experiences and I know better, it still happens when it changes for me is after something has gone wrong and I go back in and then I become the medical professional and I'm like, bring it, buddy. Like I will match you toe to toe, but it's not unless something has gone wrong before then I'm, I, I kind of cow down. I hate to say it. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. I can't, I haven't quite figured out yet how not to, you know, it's like, I feel like I speak so much about being your own health advocate and, and kind of standing up for yourself. And I've learned to do it over time, but I still feel like I'm the same way. Like if I'm in that situation, it's like my mind goes blank and I can't remember mm-hmm. why I'm there. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and I were talking about like, we need to like start to kind of create maybe like a protocol for people to have to go in and, and have, have these discussions. Yeah. yeah. Would you have any practical oh. tips, Angela, to kind of how, how to have those uncomfortable conversations? A couple of things that I have a friend who I brought with me with for the consultation for the last surgery I had for endometriosis to that appointment. And that was really helpful just to have someone there that knows me and knows the situation and can step in when I'm like losing my voice. And also just for the, you know, the, the support of having someone there that does believe you. That's such a great tip, I feel. I, it like, seems obvious, but it's so not. <laughs> yeah. Also with the same friend, when the things I think we'll get into, I've gotten into a situation where things have gone badly and I've had to confront a doctor and I wasn't able to bring my friend with me. We get on the phone and we role played. Wow. So I was the doctor, he was me. And so I would, I would be like, no, it's not doing this. And he would tell me what I should say. And so we just role played every scenario that might happen. And it was really helpful when I got in, I felt empowered and I had words, they would come to my mind. I'm like, okay, this is when I need to say this. So if you have that kind of support, it could be helpful. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point too. It's so crucial, I think, in finding that support. And that support might not be your family. Mm. It might not be your closest friends, but it's worth it, I think, to continue seeking until you find somebody that can help you kind of wade through some of those things. I agree for sure. There there are communities out there as well as well of women who have gone through this. I mean, you two were very fortunate in kind of being connected. But for those of the listeners that are out there that might be, you know, in towns that maybe aren't huge, you know, there are online forums and and all sorts of, of ways to kind of even just get that kind of backing that you're not alone in this. So yeah. really encourage people to seek those those communities out. That actually reminds me too, maybe we can even back up a little further. I feel like I think we're all like, there's just so much we want to say about this topic. So we're jumping around a little bit, but I think we're just really passionate about this. But so during your last surgery, you actually had a full hysterectomy, correct? That is correct. Yes. So that was a surprise to you, was it not? Or did you kind of know going in that that was a possibility? Or was it something that, you know, you came out and and they told you that that's what needed to happen? It was a a huge possibility. It was something very unwanted. Mm -hmm. So it was like rolling into the operating room, like begging them not to. But, you know, I had signed the paper saying if if it wasn't, if it was something medically necessary that, that I had given my permission. So unfortunately, she felt that it was necessary and it, you know, it had to happen. We should probably clarify too that this was a surgeon that you really trust. Oh my gosh. Yes. She's, She's the greatest. Because a lot of people are losing body parts and they don't need to be. Um, And I also just really want to say real quick that a hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis. No. You needed to have it done for other reasons, but... Can I go ahead and clarify why right now that might be important? So along with endometriosis, a lot of women have adenomyosis, which is where endometriosis grows into the muscle of the uterus. Mm -hmm. And over time, it can kind of just destroy the uterus. It becomes you know, it's usually a, a really firm muscle, you know, that expands with pregnancy. But when the endo gets into it, it just kind of becomes a boggy, like ball that's, it's just gross and painful. So it's called adenomyosis. And it's it's the sister to endometriosis. So that's what I had. And that's why the uterus needed to go. It causes a lot of pain. Uh, sorry, how do you spell that? Adenomyosis is A D E N. O M Y O S I S. It sounds like a denomyosis. And is that something that you, you know, with endometriosis, there are sometimes symptoms, there are sometimes not. It's obviously very hard to diagnose. Is that something, are there kind of additional symptoms that you might be able to recognize something like that? Or is it really just something that you, you would find out once you're kind of going through the surgery? A denomyosis has different symptoms. There can be a lot of heavy, heavy bleeding Mm -hmm. with your period. Yeah, I'm going to leave that to the experts. (laughs) I I don't want to go there because I don't want to lead anyone astray because it's it's so complicated. um, Like stabbing pain in the uterus. Mm -hmm. Um, Infertility is a big one because Mm -hmm. it creates like this very hostile environment for for sperm to try to live in. I think it's, I think it's often hard to differentiate the two. And I think it's, I think so. That's why I'm kind of, you know, I don't want to lead anyone in the wrong path. And can I ask a Perhaps two personal questions, so feel free to ignore it. <laughs> sure. So when your doctor was explaining that a hysterectomy was an option, how well prepared did you feel that this was you know, a potential reality? I went in not wanting it. So I didn't prepare myself. Like I was kind of like, just like, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Like I didn't even do any pre-grief 
work. <laughs> I just didn't want it to happen. I feel like I would 100% be the same. That is so tough. I think sometimes you need a certain amount of denial just to get through the next stage. What needs to be done. Yeah. 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 Denial is the right word. I couldn't find that. But yes, it was. I wasn't surprised after I found out, but. Really? Okay. I mean, that's good. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, like it's denial. It's like, yeah. yeah, once the reality sits in, you're like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I just didn't want to look at that. Yeah. Right. Well, and it sounds like also your surgeon really took the right steps in preparing you that that was a possibility. I mean, nobody that's should right. come out of surgery blindsided that a part of their body is missing. No, 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 of course. And there there was informed consent. Like she went over everything. I signed papers, like definitely don't let anyone take your uterus. Don't let anyone do a hysterectomy if you're not completely informed and know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because there are unfortunately doctors out there that will yank those uteruses out. Uteri, uteruses, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I've seen stories of women who've had consecutive surgeries and their surgeon, their like next surgeon gets in there and they're missing like a an ovary and the patient didn't even know. That's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. It's gross and it's terrifying. And I think until people really start to talk about it, we're going to just continue to see that type of practice happen. So if you go on social media now, maybe it's just my social media page and it's probably yours. Yeah, like all the targeted <laughs> content. <laughs> but it's like uteruses everywhere. And there's like a lot of like femme art now that's depicting uteruses. And it's becoming this like real symbol of community and empowerment and strength and what is that like for you to have now, like, you're missing this part of your body that's become this this symbol that maybe it wasn't before? Is that hard for you to see? Yeah, I mean, right now it is. This is really fresh for me. And the grief is, I mean, going back to how it, that process of, of having to have a hysterectomy that you you don't want, mm-hmm. it's breathtaking. Like, it hits you in the most insane, <laughs> inconvenient moments. And it literally, for me, takes my breath away. I'm like, I can't, and, it, and then you can't really, it's so intangible because you haven't lost a person. You ha- Do you know what I mean? It's just like this intangible grief of like dreams and hopes that you had with that uterus or, or even that it's just has been the womb for the children that you have. So it's, for me, it's been a process and it's going to, I continue to be a process in terms of seeing those things on social media. I don't think it's bad. I think it's, it's great. And I'll get to a place where it won't punch in the gut. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not, it's not put there to hurt anyone that's had a hysterectomy or to devalue. You're not less of a woman. Absolutely. At all. Mm-hmm. In any way, it's just like the logic and the emotions have to keep catch up with each other and be on the same page. I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that so much. Yeah. you're incredible. Well, I, like the, I like <laughs> that you're speaking that. about it in terms of, of real grief. It's making me curious if you found that you're kind of going through like the stages of grief, like denial mm. and anger mm. and sorrow and just sort of like the different steps that, you know, we take when we do lose somebody that we care about. Because it's so intangible and because I'm so lucky that I have two children and I had them when I was very young and I wanted to experience it again as an adult. So I was an adult, but as a, an adult adult <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I hadn't let go of that yet. Yeah. So with most people that are very well-meaning, I'll get the, oh my God, you're so lucky you don't get your period. 
and that I don't want to hear that. Oh, I know. Or I'll, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They don't, they're, they don't mean anything. Well, they're not trying to hurt. A good reminder of like, we're taught that our periods are bad. Yeah. You know? And it's like, yeah. oh, you're so exactly. You have this horrible thing that like we need as women to survive. Yeah. yeah. It's a true, very good point. Yeah. So it's that, or it's the, well, how old are you anyway? those questions or you already have kids and it's very invalidating. So it becomes, um, you become pretty isolated in the grieving process because it's your, it's yours. Like you're, it was only yours. So it's not, I have found with this, it's not like following that step-by-step process. Like I have gone through the different stages at different times. Like I can be sad. And then sometimes like I have broken glass my friends that doesn't need to be broken just because I am so angry and I need to hurt something. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I love that. I mean, I just want to like give you a round of applause. (laughs) It's not good. Don't break glass. Not not good. I'm still trying to replace these dishes, but (laughs) but yeah, so it's just, it's not whatever those five stages are. I always thought you would go through those stages, but it's, it doesn't take that for me, at least those steps in that order. Well, grief never really does. Like maybe yeah. those stages are actually kind of bullshit. Well, I, I mean, know. it's nice to have a friend kind of and all of that stuff, but I feel like it's pretty individual for sure. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. My friend had told me when we were talking about grief because I'm I'm so lucky. I haven't had a huge loss in my life in terms of you know like a I've had grandparents that have passed, but but my friend has, and he said you know grief never goes away. Yeah. So, so get over that, but it, it just changes shape and I'm hoping, I'm hoping to, to shape it into something that can serve later when I'm past <laughs> the raw part of it. Right. So if, if that's true, that it changes, changes shapes, I want to inform the shape that it takes somehow. I'm not there yet. Yeah. No, I think that's incredible. And, and honestly, Angela, by just even discussing it, in a in a public forum or even a private forum, you know, you're doing a huge service to, to other people. Oh, you know, yeah, I, I, I hope so. No, I agree. And I, when I found out this past July that I was going to need to have a second surgery for my endometriosis, I went through, I, I think I, I think it was like the stages of grief mm-hmm. in a way, because first I was completely devastated. I just cried for like three days straight because after oh. my first surgery, I was told like, this was it. And I was done. And, you know, right. but then I was just so angry because I felt like, it took me over 10 years to get diagnosed. And then I had my surgery and then I was still receiving misinformation and I didn't realize, you know, and then it was yep. like a whole battle with my insurance to even be able to have a second surgery. And I just found that I was so angry. Yeah. I mean, I, like, like, so. rage, yeah, like yeah. pure rage, like breaking dishes is yes. I definitely would like to have done. <laughs> but then I realized like, I, and I th- and I'm curious if you felt this way too, but it was never this like why me like I don't I don't play that game because I felt like I was going to make noise about it now and and I was going to get loud about it and and that's a lot of why we're doing this podcast and why we're doing this sure. episode. Yeah, I mean, does that feel true to you? Like I, I think it's similar to what you're saying in the sense of you know maybe you're not there yet, but you know that you're going to turn this ultimately in, into a tool to use to help other people. I might have dipped into the why me pond. 
once in a while, of course, you know, that comes with the crying and the feeling sorry for yourself, which is completely valid. Yeah. And okay. Just don't stay in the pond too long. (laughs) Cause it's sad. It's, you know, you are going through something and it sucks. I remember I just gave myself permission and, and actually my sister really gave me permission to just be sad, you know, right, right. period of time and to, to not try yet to, to get better or to fix it or to find a solution, just to take a few days and just really cry and let it sink in and be miserable. And yeah. we're so like quick to like want to fix ourselves mm. and, and, you know, it's okay to take that time to, to just grieve. Yeah. Very true. I was really lucky after my hysterectomy, I was at my friend's house for a month. And so I was like in this cocoon of just a safe place with a safe person. And, you know, if I wanted to cry, I could cry. And, but when I left is when it, it got rocky for me when I was alone with all of those emotions and I'm months out now, but I still find, like I said, at really inconvenient times I'm with a patient that I should be present for and it might you know, trigger something in me and I'm, <laughs> and then I'm back with my grief. So what I've started doing in the past two weeks is I give myself 15 minutes. I set aside almost like a meditation time, but it's not, it's 15 minutes to feel my feelings. And I literally set a timer and I just feel it. And if I don't feel anything, that's great. But if I cry, I cry and then we're done for the day. (laughs) And it's helped. It has actually helped me get through the day just to have that time that I have given myself permission to feel my feelings. That is brilliant. I I know. That is smiling here from the theater here. (laughs) yeah because otherwise they come out and it's embarrassing for me anyway like I'll be mean to someone or I'll cry in front of someone or and I don't want to be that person right so yeah that was the best I could do well and at the end of the day it's like we can't really be those people at least not how our current society is set up so giving yourself that time where you have full permission to just feel what you're feeling, I think is really beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a good tool. Yeah. So I think a lot of, for me, what was coming up in terms of the anger was just all the years that nobody believed how I felt. Mm. I think, you know, in sure. front of a doctor and, and telling them that something was wrong, that I knew something was wrong. And for them to just tell me, no, you're fine, go home. Or here's birth control, go home. Or here's some painkillers, go home. Right. I think now I'm kind of starting to recognize that as actual PTSD, which I don't know if maybe that's dramatic to feel that way. But I think when you're told from the time that you're a young woman uh, up until your 30s, even (laughs) that, you know, it was just that like my voice was never good enough. Um, No, it's not dramatic. Let me go ahead and and just stop that for you right now. Let me validate that what you're feeling, it, it truly is PTSD and it's, it's earned. Well, when you spend so many years not knowing what's wrong with you, I mean, I don't know if you went through this. I'm really curious to hear. And Sienna, I'm curious too if you felt this at times too. But you you do you start to not believe yourself, and you start yeah. to think that you're crazy. Like I thought for sure I was going to end up in an insane asylum. I thought I was crazy. Yeah, I know. It makes right. me really emotional to talk about. I'm still really angry, actually. It turns out um, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, but um, but yeah, can you can you talk more about about that long term effect that that maybe we're starting to see and that we're starting to have? Yeah, I mean PTSD it gets bandied about so much, right? That the the word is I, I can't tell yet if it's starting to lose its power or if it's being validated more or both. It's we're in some crazy 
space, I think, with that in society. Because, you know, sometimes it's used inappropriately. In this instance, when you are in this kind of pain and you're out there, not just asking medical professionals, but it's time and money. Like insurance doesn't cover this stuff. It's it's a real, it's a very expensive endeavor. And then to be told you're, you're invalidated. They invalidate and betray you, the people that are supposed to be helping you. That is a recipe for the real deal PTSD. So that's really all I can say about that in terms of what to do about it. That's where the healing starts. That's not, not an overnight fix. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, Angela, I think that's a fantastic question. And, you know, I guess the, the starting process is really what we're trying to do in just having this initial conversation and letting people know that, you know, you're not alone. And if you go into a, a doctor's office, that's not the end point necessarily. Sometimes it is. And if you have fantastic medical care, I think that's wonderful. But it's not always the case. And, and you're allowed to ask more questions. You're allowed to self-educate. So in yes. terms of what the future looks like, I think it's just allowing ourselves to, yeah, be curious and continue to, to kind of empower ourselves with education. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think if anyone's listening and, and they're feeling like we're striking a chord and maybe they're like, oh, maybe I, I am suffering from PTSD or maybe this did impact me in a way I didn't realize. Just know that, that that's valid, that we hear you and we believe you. Yeah. And yeah, I do want to just interject for a second in that, you know, I'm Australian as my accent is extremely <laughs> evident. Uh-huh. And it is a pretty different world back home in terms of the medical community. I have to say it is sure. actually, I don't mean advanced, far more advanced in terms of kind of education or skill. I just mean there's, there is a different culture. And I think because we have, you know, many, many care available to everyone, everyone can access it. That in itself makes a completely, you know, it's a completely different scenario. But also there is a little bit more of a culture of, you know, accepted integrative health. So, you know, I think there's definitely this culture back home, but I have to say it's, you know, my experience hasn't always been this bad necessarily. Right, right, right. In America, right. you need two things to have access to quality healthcare. You mm-hmm. need to be white and you need to have money. Yeah. Those are the two like, yeah. main, <laughs> I would say, me. <laughs> so, and we're definitely going to have to do an episode, I think, on women of color in the health community too, because oh, yeah. our story is bad oh, and their story sure. is worse for sure. So Angela, could you tell us more about your work as a nurse? Because you actually have a pretty wild job, yeah. I would say. Yeah, I do. So I am a registered nurse and I work in the psychiatric ER of the hospital in the town that I live in. So if a patient comes in with psychiatric needs, they go through the regular medical ER and they're cleared medically. And then they're sent to the psychiatric evaluation area which is the psych portion of the ER. So usually when they come to us, they're in, in pretty heavy crisis. So it's kind of a stabiliz- stabilization point. It's like a landing zone where we get them psychiatrically stable and then find out what the next step for them is, whether it's inpatient care or if they have a good network that you know they can go home and be cared for there. So yeah, I'm a psych ER nurse. Wow, that is, that's incredible. So this episode is called We Believe You Even If Your Doctor Didn't. And I suppose when thinking about mental health issues, you know, that is definitely just as relevant. 
have you had that experience with your patients that perhaps, you know, they've been in situations where they haven't been listened to in the past before they, they made it to, to kind of the landing zone or, or what's been your experience with mental health and kind of, you know, general acceptance or acceptance in the medical community? Oh my gosh, this is, this could be its own episode and maybe should be. Yeah. I want to, I want to be careful because ER staff are fantastic at the job they do, medical ER staff, but there's definitely a bias that you find out really quickly working in, in psychiatric care in a hospital that sometimes it's harder for us to get medical care for our psych patients. Yeah. I mean, is that shocking to you? Because it was completely shock. It, it's still shocking to me, and I've been doing this for quite some time. Yeah. I feel like they're believed they don't have the same problem that we're speaking about in terms of their psychiatric care, but in terms of a straight MD or a medical nurse, sometimes they, to be fair to them, they don't have the tools to deal with them that we do, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes they can, their medical needs are, are not listened to. Your question, are you shocked I am shocked, but I can't say I'm surprised if I'm totally. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's still, it, it makes us, I speak for every nurse that I work with, we blood boils. I mean, we advocate really, really ferociously for our clients, our patients that need medical care. And I mean, I've had a heart attack patient. That's I'm Our unit's not equipped for that, right? Yeah. And so... You know, I've had to push really hard to get them back to the medical ED. This patient's having a heart attack. Holy shit. But yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. We are just incredibly grateful that there are very talented and empathetic people like yourselves that are, you know, helping helping people with these issues. So, you know, first of all, thank you. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to steer the conversation in a positive direction because I think as <laughs> We, we do feel positive and, you know, I think every, as we said, every time we kind of speak about this, we, I think it's pushing it in the right direction. But you have recently launched an incredible website and program called Endo Coach RN. Could you tell us a little bit about that work and why services like this are needed now more than ever? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I guess the easiest way to explain that is a doctor is trained to treat the disease. And in nursing school, you're taught to treat the patient. And in my own experiences with endometriosis, you know, like that we've just talked about, going through that journey, who's treating the patient? Like, I want my surgeon to be focused on treating the disease. Thank God for that. Like, let that be your only focus. (laughs) But it does kind of leave this gap where, you know, the, the patient that has the disease isn't receiving the care that would be so helpful in their healing. So I've created this service to, to kind of try to bridge that gap and to be, you know, a coach slash doula, for lack of a better word, since I've been through it as a patient and I'm also, you know, on the other side as a nurse. I'm creating a course where I want people to, women, to be able to get all of that information mm-hmm. that they try to find online. And it's so scary when you go out onto the interwebs and, and Google endometriosis. Totally. Like you can, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to create a one-stop shop where it's correct information, you know, and also addressing heavily the mental health aspect and what it does to our psyches as women not being believed and 
what to expect after surgery, what to expect during surgery, what your loved ones can do to, to help support you through it. Just kind of trying to hit all the bases that can benefit a woman going through this. Oh my God, that is so needed. It's That's so, needed. so, so wonderful. It, you would have saved me that. years of mm-hmm. agony. Yeah. I love that what you said about it's a place where people can get real information. You spend so much time kind of wading through these dark waters, trying to figure out what's going on. And when you're sick, that's really hard to do. It so, is. Yeah. yeah. I also love what you said about, you know, doctors being taught to support the disease and nurses being taught to support the patient. I've never really heard the dichotomies stated like yeah, that, but I think neither. it's so true. And, you know, both, yeah, you're quite right that that patient care side is really not kind of supported at this stage. So, yeah. Thank right, you. right. Like a, a great example of that is, is, and you wouldn't know that unless you were a nurse, is for endometriosis, you know, the doctor's diagnosis would be endometriosis. A nursing mm. diagnosis would be at risk for lack of social support, at risk for isolation. So we're taught to treat, you know, all of the auxiliary issues that come up around that so I just think it's a gap that needs to be filled that could really support it would have helped me going through it Absolutely. you're going to help so many people I think even just saying those words are really going to help people and do you feel that this is maybe now going to become more of a trend do you think we'll see more coaches and doulas doing that type of work I think so I think that we're going to have to right because we have to learn myself included to if the doctor is your partner in your healthcare, they are not the god of your healthcare. It is your body. You know what you're feeling. You know what you're. You live in it 24/7. And so we have to somehow change our mindset that you know you go in and you you hire them as your partner, and you have 50/50, if not more, maybe 64. I don't know what the percentage is, but <laughs> you get this day, right? <laughs> They have to have the okay from you. And, and I think that coaching and, you know, there are so many health coaches out there that do wonderful work in mindset training and that sort of thing. Wonderful. And so the website is www.endocoachrn.com. Is that right? Yeah, it's endocoachrn.com. And then my Instagram is endometriosiscoach or at endometriosiscoach. I, I feel like we actually only like scratch the surface. Yeah. Yeah. There's like <laughs> yeah. so many more questions yeah. we want to and maybe in the future we can do some follow up. But just thank you so much for being so vulnerable and so honest with us. Yeah, really. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. Thank you for having me on and, and letting me share and creating a safe space to do that. And I hope it I hope it helps women and girls out there. We hope you enjoyed this episode. How lucky are we that we get to chat to these mega talented folks? I think we're pretty fucking lucky. (laughs) Hell yes. So if you happen to like it too, share it with your mates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. And don't forget, the conversation doesn't end here. We would love to hear from you. What did you think of today's episode? What else do you want to talk about? Yeah, what kind of conversations are you having? Or maybe what conversations aren't you having? Yeah, good point. Anyway, until next time. Bye. Bye.